Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you, Gary, for those very kind words. Um, and thank you for your fellowship and listening to Dill and the fellowship of Barnabas here and Brian and the whole team. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's been such a blessing to be here. These, this is now the third year with you. And um, honestly, it has been my privilege to share in this conference with you and enjoy the fellowship, the food as well, and the presence of the Holy Spirit together. Um, praise the Lord for that. I'm looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Um, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 19. And the theme of the conference uh, this weekend is my sheep hear my voice. And I have been seeking the Lord over what to bring. And um, so many, I mean, I, I like the titles here because they're so broad you could really go anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you want to try and keep within what I believe the Holy Spirit has led uh, the committee to, to as the theme and title for the weekend. And um, this is the first thing that the Lord just dropped into my spirit. And it's the voice of the Lord in the life of Elijah. And there's just so much that we can um, learn from this. So will you read with me 1 Kings chapter 19, and then I'll just bring the thoughts that the Lord has brought to me and share them with you. Now, just before we read, I want to say this. There'll be prayer ministry at the end, and there'll be a team of people up here praying for folk, and so that's available for you. But very often we, we talk about the ministry time, Okay. And we infer that all the ministry happens at the end. And I want you to understand right now that you've already been in ministry time as we've been worshiping. Holy Spirit is here. But as I bring the word of God to you and the message of the Lord, this is ministry time. Do you understand? And you can receive from God in the midst of the preaching of the word in such a way as good as people praying for you afterwards because it's the word of the living God, okay? So I want you to be receptive in a, in a position of response as you hear the word of the Lord read and as you hear the ministry of the word, God can touch you and he can change you and transform you. He can heal you. He can deliver you. He can save you. He can revive you in the middle of the preaching, okay? So you're expecting for that. Be expecting. So verse 1 uh, of 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, 
far as Horeb, the mountain of God, almost as good as the food in the Lord's Hotel. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he, the Lord, said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill him. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill him. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah is the greatest of the prophets, isn't that correct? Apart from John the Baptist, um, he is the greatest of that Old Testament era. And actually, when you go into the New Testament, you may not be aware that Elijah's name is mentioned 30 times. And he is lifted up very high in prestige right throughout the whole of Scripture. And I don't know what you think of when you think of Elijah, but very often I think of him as a man of miracles. Now, of course, Elisha, after him, did double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Of course, he looked for a double anointing from his father, Elijah. But yet Elijah is the, the man who called down fire from heaven. And God, the Lord God of Elijah answers by fire. And, you know, our minds go to these miracles about how, well, we read of it in James, in the book of James, in uh, chapter 5, listen to verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. So he said, by my word, there shall be no rain. And there was famine for three and a half years. Yeah. And Ahab was perplexed. He called Elijah the troubler of Israel. And then there's this showdown, yeah, on the mountain between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and he throws down the gauntlet, and his God, the Lord God Jehovah, he is the Lord, he is the Lord, because he's the one who answers by fire. And yet we come here, uh, after that great spiritual conquest and triumph, to 1 Kings chapter 19, and Elijah, the mighty prophet of God, is in a crisis. 
We read in verse 7, wasn't it? The journey is too much for you. The journey is too great for you. Right at the very outset, I want to ask that question of you all here this evening. Is there someone, and I think there's probably more than one, and the journey has become too great for you? And maybe you have been and are a mighty servant of the Lord. And maybe you have seen the Lord answer by supernatural fire and glory and that where you are tonight, the journey is too great for you. And the irony I think about Elijah, and I stand to be corrected after this, anybody thinks I'm wrong in this, that's fine. I'm willing to listen because I'm not being absolutely dogmatic. And some of the things that I'm saying, but this is, I feel, what the Lord is prompting me to say, that Elijah was the voice of the nation, but I think he got to a moment in his life and ministry where he actually wasn't hearing the voice of God for himself. I think of that. He was the voice for the nation, but he wasn't hearing the voice of the Lord for himself. Or to put it another way, he was hearing the voice of God for ministry, but not for his own soul. Do you think I'm right on that? I think so. And we can very easily get into that place. You know, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, but most of the time, you know, I can drop it, the, I can preach at the, 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 the drop of a hat. And, and you might be able to pray for someone just like that because you're so accustomed to it. And you might be able to prophesy and give a word. And I'm not for one moment suggesting that it's of the flesh. On the contrary, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, without repentance. They're all grace gifts anyway, so you can operate. But are you hearing from God for yourself? And are you hearing for God in your soul in such a way as you are refreshed and rejuvenated for the journey. I want to first of all share the circumstances that created the vacuum. The circumstances that created the vacuum for not hearing the voice of the Lord for himself. The first thing I want to highlight is the physical and emotional circumstances. What I'm talking about is Elijah was absolutely exhausted. Physically and emotionally. And you know, I don't know whether you've noticed this. If you've been long enough in the Christian life, there are highs and there are lows. And the physical and the emotional are realities of our created nature. Okay, they're not bad. They're not weak. They're not sinful. They're normal. And I have found in ministry that I have to waken myself up to the fact that I am a spirit, but I am a spirit in a body. And that means there are limitations. And I have found that whenever you start operating in the supernatural, it can give you, if you're not careful, it can give you the impression that you're superhuman, and you're not. And dare I say it, and we have to be very careful here when we, we talk about the Lord Jesus and his humanity and his deity and so on, but even the Lord Jesus didn't operate like a superhuman. He was fully God, and he was fully man, but we read that he, he went aside and he rested a while. He needed many prayer retreats with his heavenly Father, 
But we also find that when he ministered, you remember the woman who touched the hem of his garment? And it says that he perceived that virtue or healing power had gone out of him. And the inference there is he felt a little bit of power drain. But I want to suggest to you as well, not just we experience these highs and lows of ministry because of our physical limitations and our physical and emotional weakness at times. But I believe Elijah was grieving. Now again, talk to me about this afterwards. But we read that Jezebel had slain the prophets of the Lord. And I imagine that some of those prophets knew Elijah. Because he was the father of the prophets. And in fact, you see in Samuel's day, he set up a school of prophets, and then it fell in the apostasy. Um, But yet Elijah was the guy to revive the school of prophets again, and then Elisha. So it's inconceivable to me that, 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 that Elijah didn't know these prophets, and they may well have been sons of his in the spiritual sense. So it's... We read these Bible stories sometimes and we don't enter the import of what's going on in the narrative. This man was grieving for friends that he had lost. So there's a physical and an emotional dimension to the circumstances that have contributed to this vacuum of the voice of the Lord in Elijah's life. But it wasn't just physical and emotional. There was a mental circumstance. Elijah, as often as the case, when we're physically and emotionally shot, Elijah lost mental perspective. And he also lost self-awareness. I alone am left. If you look at chapter 18, verse 22, he says that. In chapter 19, verse 10, he says that. And yet we know from chapter 18, verse 4, that there was a hundred prophets that Obadiah had hid in caves, 50 and 50. So he wasn't the only one left. And we know from the end of the passage here in in verse 18 of chapter 19 that there were 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed the knee to Baal. So he was not the last one left. And yet he had this complex that I am the only one that's doing anything right, that's fighting your cause and defending everything that you stand for. Israel has all fallen away and denied your covenant and followed false gods. And here I am all alone. Is it any wonder I'm the way I am? And mentally, he lost perspective and he lost self-awareness. Now, the miracle of God's grace is God still honored him even in the middle of all that. And you know, we all can be real screw-ups and God still comes and backs us up because he honors his word. And you know, he got to the point where he was so low And this is ironic. He's so low, he's got too big for his boots. Have you ever noticed that? How there can be a relationship with low self-esteem. On the one hand, oh, I'm the worst in the world, and I'm no better than my father's, and I'm no good at this, and -and so-and-so's far better than I am. And yet, in the next moment, you can be a head so big you can't get out of the door. You you swing. Just like these, these physical and emotional highs and lows, you can have these mental moments where you... You, you, you oscillate from false humility to hubris and pride. 
And then there's something else I want you to see. The physical circumstances, the emotional circumstances, the mental circumstances, and then there was also spiritual warfare going on. What does Ephesians 6 and verse 12 say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so there was Jezebel, and there was Ahab, and there was the prophets of Baal. But don't miss focusing on them not to see the powers, the principalities, the spiritual strongholds that was behind Ahab and Jezebel in particular. And Jezebel was the daughter of a Phoenician king from Tyre and Sidon. And he was also a, a priest. He was a king and a priest, a priest, a pagan priest of Baal. And so Jezebel, his daughter, not to put it in uh, other terms, was a witch. And she has come to epitomize witchcraft, manipulation, and a spirit that actually is spoken of right throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it to the churches in Revelation. And so she is characterized as a woman, and Jezebel will always do that in, this in spirit, a woman who desires power and control. And what she will do is, and it's not just a female manifestation, it can work in men as well, they will come alongside those who have power and who have authority, and she will try to get into a relationship, not necessarily a sexual or an inappropriate relationship, but will try to get into a relationship where they can use that power to gain power. That's what she did in the life of Ahab. She wanted to control. And so here's Elijah, the mighty prophet of God. And I want you to see this. He has thrown the gauntlet down to the prophets of Baal. God has answered by fire from heaven. He's seen a tremendous victory in 1 Kings 18. And now what's he doing? He's running away from this woman. And the only explanation for that is that there was a spiritual threat and a fear that had come upon Elijah that was supernatural. And what does Proverbs 29, verse 25 say? The fear of man or of woman brings a snare or a trap. And he had got bound and entrapped by the fear of this woman. And it says here, it's remarkable, he ran for his life, verse 3. He ran for his life. And we, we would be forgiven in saying, Elijah, is this a, an imposter? Is this the real man? Is this the man we know in the Bible? It is. And do not underestimate the power of a, of a Jezebel spirit. Here's the mighty man of God reduced before this woman in spiritual warfare. So what were the circumstances that led to this vacuum? And I want you to ask yourself if you find yourself in these right now. Physical and emotional circumstances where you might have known spiritual highs, maybe not as good as Elijah, but you've known the blessing of God, but now you find yourself directly after it in a trough. After the peak, you're in the trough, you're in the ditch and the dip, and you're very low and you're very vulnerable. And your mind is starting to play tricks on you. And the enemy's coming with thoughts. And maybe how rubbish you are and useless you are and you're not as good as somebody else. Or maybe it's even whispering sweet nothings in your ear about how wonderful you are. And you're maybe in the midst of a spiritual war, spiritual conflict. This is real, folks. And all of these things can hinder us hearing clearly the voice of God for our own souls. I want you to look secondly. After the circumstances, 
that created the vacuum, I want you to look secondly at where the place he found himself. First of all, he's in the desert. And Sarah's alluded to the desert. And we know nothing about the desert here. But the desert, of course, is a dry and arid, a dusty, barren, fruitless, lifeless place. And so Elijah is going through a wilderness experience, and some of us have walked through that. He's in a desert, a deserted place. He's depressed. Christians don't get depressed, do they not? Do they not? Of course they do. Now, there's healing and there's freedom from depression. And all the promises of God can free us and can minister to us. But don't tell me that Christians can't be depressed. And he is more than depressed. He is despairing of life. What does he actually say? Lord, take my life. I want to die. Now, I don't know whether we could describe him as suicidal or not. That's maybe pushing it a bit. But he was at the lowest point humanly speaking, that we could imagine. The great prophet of the Old Testament. And you know what the ironic thing is? This is it's kind of humorous if this wasn't so serious. Who's the guy in the Old Testament, along with Enoch, who never died? Huh? God, he says, I want to die. And God, God's thinking, well, sorry, you're never going to die. It's one of those occasions, isn't it, that, that, that we ought to be thankful that we don't get the prayers answered that we pray when God says no to our prayers rather than yes and he said no to this prayer and he's the man that lived forever but it doesn't diminish how low he was in his desperation and what we're talking about here is what we could describe as an existential crisis do you know what an existential crisis is whether it's in life or in ministry, you have an inner crisis where you're feeling that your life lacks meaning, you're confused about your identity, and you don't know why you're here anymore. Have you ever been there? And he then fell into this mistake. Okay, he's in the desert, he's despairing, he's depressed. He falls into the mistake of deadly comparison. Verse 4, he says, I'm no better than my fathers. Now, this is the, one of the mind tricks that the enemy does with us in the church especially and in ministry, where we compare ourselves with others and we think, I'm not as good as they are. I don't have the gifts that they have. I'm not as good looking. I'm not as charismatic. I'm not as anointed. I can't preach as well. I don't see as many healings, and etc., etc. And you know what Paul the Apostle says? That it is utter foolishness to do this. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves and they are not wise. And he goes on to infer that the only one that we should be comparing ourselves to is Jesus Christ, our Messiah and our Lord. And the only righteousness that we need and can actually have is a righteousness by faith. It's not even by works at all. So what's the point in comparing ourselves? But we do it. And Elijah did it. Now we know him as the greatest prophet of all. And yet he didn't know it. He didn't know his own value. He thought he was the least prophet. Isn't that so interesting? How the enemy can warp our self-awareness, our conceptions of our own worth and value before God. And we fall into these mistakes. But if we would just listen to what God says about us, how he values us. 
So we've seen the conditions that contributed to the vacuum of the voice of God in his life. And we see, oh, did I do something wrong? Amen. We, that's okay. And we see the place that he found himself. But I want you to see finally, I want you to see God's treatment plan for him. Now this is very, very practical. The first thing that God did for him was he sent him a free ticket to the Barnabas Conference in Korean. <laughs> is that what God did for him? No. What did he do? He put him to bed. Now think about that. He put him to sleep. Uh, we could call it a supernaturally induced coma. Do you know the way when you, you see in the films, and hopefully it hasn't happened to you, where you're so weak and your body is failing to function that you, ne you need to be put under. You need to be put into an induced coma so that you can rest. Your, your organs can rest and aren't under any stress. Well, that's exactly what God did for this man because he needed rest. He needed refreshment. He needed Sabbath. And we Christians don't practice Sabbath. We don't practice a weekly rest. And you know, the Jews didn't just have a weekly Sabbath. They had Sabbath festivals and feasts right throughout the year. They also had the sabbatical year. And then they had the Jubilee. And so peppered throughout their spiritual calendar for their own health and well-being were rests. We don't do this well. Do you know one of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is take a nap? If you're doing not, amen, somebody like that, that's what you were doing this afternoon, wasn't it? If nothing else, you're making yourself available for dreams, aren't you? For the Lord to speak to you. But you know, we need our rest because we are spirits. And praise God, and we'll talk about this tomorrow night, within our spirit lives the resurrected Jesus. Yes. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. But remember, you're in a physical mortal body. And you need to sleep. And you need rest, Sabbath rest, every week. Maybe every month you need a little bit extra throughout the year. Do you remember W.P. Nicholson? If anybody remembers W.P. Nicholson, you're very, very old. But uh, some of you will know of him, a great evangelist that was used of God. And he, he stood up one day in one of his crusades and he said, some of you might know this story, he said, I, I'll not be here for a couple of weeks because I'm taking a holiday. And there was an old lady on the way out said to him, Reverend Nicholson, I'm very surprised that you are taking a holiday because the devil doesn't take a holiday. And he said, Madam, I'd be like the devil if I didn't take a holiday. <laughs> the treatment plan was sleep, and the second thing was diet. Now, I'm not, after what I ate tonight, I'm not going to uh, bring a guilt trip to you and preach hard on diet. But we do have to watch, don't we? We do have to eat well and eat regularly. We need to fast, but we need to feast as well. Jesus was in the wilderness. And you remember that the, the tempter came to him, and what did he say? Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus said, quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But he, he didn't say man shall only live by the word of God. 
did he? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. We still need bread. It's like bodily exercise profits little. It's not the be-all and end-all, but we still need to exercise to stay healthy. And so we need spiritual food primarily, but sometimes we need supplements to our diet. Sometimes we need medication. Sometimes we need medical intervention. Sometimes we need scientific help. And can I make this statement tonight? I believe in the supernatural as much as the next person, but sometimes the physical needs to be treated first because we're not able to receive spiritually because there are physical barriers. And so sleep, diet, and even exercise. Do you know it was a 200-mile journey that Elijah embarked upon from Beersheba to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And it took him 40 days hike. Now, it shouldn't have took him that length of time. It should only have been about a quarter of that, about 10 days. But nevertheless, God says, come on and we'll go we walk. And that's effectively what he did with the Israelites in the wilderness, isn't it? It, it was probably a 10-day journey that they were on, and he, t- he took them a 40-year journey. Why? Why? I heard somebody describe him as like a little puppy that you know, was learning to go a walk on a leash. And the owner keeps stopping, and the puppy's moving and pulling and yanking, and you just stop till you, you learn. That's not the way it works. When you calm down, I'll walk on. That's what the Israelites were like in the desert. A missiologist once called, it, called God a three-mile-an-hour God because that was the pace at which the Israelites went through the wilderness. It was so slow. Why? Because they had to learn to walk at God's pace. And what he was doing with the Israelites is what he was doing with Elijah in the wilderness. You need to walk at my pace, Elijah, and we need to go for a stroll. You need some exercise. You need some quiet time. But essentially, why were the Israelites... Elijah's 40 days. Why the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness? Who can tell me why they went around in circles for 40 years? One word. Disobedience, yes, but there's one word mentioned in the book of Hebrews that says they did not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I might be pushing too much out of here, okay, but I don't really think so. I think Elijah had a similar problem of unbelief. And you say, well, that cannot possibly be the case. Well, hold on a minute. Here was a man who was hearing the voice of God for others. And listen, I've been there where I am seeing miracles and I'm saying, Lord, what about mine? Have you ever been there? What about doing something for me here? Remember me? Hello? I would love to be on the other side of the sofa and you do that for me. You just did for them. And you see, we can get into this place of unbelief that God does things for others. God speaks to others. God heals others. God delivers others. God does a miracle for others. God provides for others. God's saving other people's families. God's healing relationships and other people's marriages. But he never does it for me. And I think Elijah got into that zone. And the amazing thing is, right, okay, sleep he needed. This is God's treatment plan. Are you with me? Sleep, diet, 
exercise, and then came supernatural ministry. And we read in verse 7 and verse 8, there was the laying on of hands. Now, they were the laying on of angelic hands, but it still was the angel touched them. And here we are in the New Testament, and we believe in the doctrine of the laying on of hands. We believe there's something special about laying on of hands. And I don't really understand it all, to be honest with you. Now, God can heal from a distance. God can do miracles. He doesn't need someone to lay hands. But I've seen it time and time and time again. Something happens when you lay hands on people. But this was also angelic ministry. And I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Temptation in the wilderness with the wild beasts. And what does it say? He resisted the devil in all those temptations. We were hearing about it this morning from Mark. And it says that he, he rebuked the devil and he fled and then the angels came and ministered to him. Hebrews 1 verse 14 tells us, doesn't it, that they are ministering spirits who come to minister those, to those who inherit salvation. Now, but what I want you to see is all of this is leading up to something. Are you with me? The sleep, the diet, the exercise, and now the supernatural ministry. What is it all leading up to? It's leading up to getting him into a place where he can hear God's voice. The prophet of God. He's ready to hear because he could not receive. And I believe the problem is not God's broadcaster, you know. You understand? It's not God's satellite or whatever it is he sends the messages out via. It's our receiver is the problem. And even in healing, I believe that's the case. There's all the healing that anybody needs in all the world, but the problem is the receiving, the same with freedom. It's the same with salvation. He's not willing that any should perish, but it all should come to repentance. So God, Jesus has died already. All our sins have been paid for, but it's all about us receiving it through repentance and faith. Isn't that right? And Elijah, the great prophet of God, couldn't hear God's word for his heart. But now he's ready to receive. And the Lord says, right, come up to the mountain. This is the mighty mountain of all the miracles that God had performed with Moses and the giving of the law of Mount Sinai, famous Mount Horeb. And he tells him to go into a cave. And I wonder, is it the same cave, the cleft of the rock where Moses was and protected? Who knows? But it's ironic that he's in the same place in a cave where Moses met the Lord. And he has this experience. But before the experience, there are some divine questions that are asked of him. It's like therapy, isn't it? Only he's not on a couch. He's in a cave. And the Lord says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? How did you get here? And we've gone over how he got there, what the circumstances were, where he ended up. But he needed, he needed to come to realize the sequence of events. And you see, for all, most of us, the problem is we don't see it happening. I've suffered from stress in the past. And the thing that boggles my mind about stress is I never feel stressed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I hit a brick wall and I realize I've been stressed, and I'm thinking, but I don't feel stressed. I'm not thinking about anything in particular, but it creeps up on you. And the divine question is, how did you get here? He asked him it in verse 9. He asked him it in verse 13. Do you know how you got here? When did you stop hearing the voice of God for your soul? 
when, when did you start just hearing the voice of God for others? When did you start just looking at the Bible for sermons? When did you start just ministering, counseling to people when you need the wonderful counselor yourself for your own soul? When was it that that stopped? You need to actually ask that question. How did I get here? Duncan Campbell, you've heard of Duncan Campbell. He was used mightily of God in the Hebridean revival for the faith mission. And a mighty man of God. An interesting thing, he started to minister to kids in YWAM uh, later in his life. I don't know whether you're aware of that or not, in the United States. And this was, I mean, he was a Scotch Presbyterian, a Calvinist and all the rest. He believed in the baptism of the Spirit and the power of God's Spirit and all the rest. But it was quite a combination. And in fact, uh, the praise and the worship and all the exuberance of the Pentecostals and Charismatic was something else for him. I remember reading the story that he stood up on one occasion in the YWAM meeting and he said, in his own imitable Scottish way, he says, there needs to be less coming out of the whistle and more steam going down to the piston. <laughs> you understand what he meant. Less steam coming out of their mouths and more going down to their hearts. You understand. But he told them this story of Elisha. Do you remember the axe head? And the school of the prophets, and they were building the, 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 the house, and they, they had a borrowed axe, and they lost the axe head. Do you remember it? And they got the prophet, and he threw the, the wood into the river, and the axe head floated. But the first question that the prophet asked them when they lost the axe is, where did you lose it? And Duncan Campbell said, you see, when you are not hearing the voice of God, Students, you need to ask the question, when was the last time I had it? You remember when you lose your glasses or you lose your car keys and you start thinking, where did I last have them? Where did you last hear the voice of God? And why did you lose it? Verse 12 says, and this is a famous verse, that God's voice was not in the earthquake, the wind, and the fire, but in the still small voice. The original Hebrew literally means, Wiseman translates it, the voice of a gentle whisper. Now, can I ask a question here? Could it be that Elijah, the great man of power and miracles and pyrotechnics from heaven, could it be the case that Elijah only looked for God in the spectacular outbursts of the supernatural? Do you think he perhaps got conditioned to that? And we all want that, don't we? We want to see the big miracles. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes we are too busy. We are too distracted. Our lives are too loud to hear from God, the still, small voice. Now, I don't mean literally that you have to be in quietness and solitude all the time. Susanna Wesley had 11 children, and you know the story that she used to lift the apron over her head, and that was her quiet place and quiet time. And you know, all the hustle and bustle, but she was quiet in her own spirit. But I'm talking about internally. You know what a lot of what's happening to us, as Brian alluded to last night, through the COVID experience, through all of the commentary that's 24-7 on our news feeds and on the internet, etc., is that we internally are becoming echoes of the turmoil of the chaos without. And it needs to stop. The Hebrew still small voice is the voice of gentle silence. Have you ever known a deafening silence? Do you know what a deafening silence is? 
There's nothing more overwhelming than huge noise and then all of a sudden no noise whatsoever and a deafening silence. I think that's what Elijah experienced. And it says that he wrapped himself in his mantle because he recognized that this was the voice of God. Now, folks, we need to get silent. We need to get alone. We need to get into solitude so that the Lord may speak. And yet, it's not going into a monastery. Not to despise that. I'm just saying, God gave Elijah something to do. Do you see what it says here in, in, the, in the final verses of this passage? Go and anoint so-and-so, anoint Elisha, anoint Jehu, etc. And actually what he was doing was anointing Jehu, which, who would slay Jezebel eventually and defeat that queen and that spiritual power. But he also was to anoint Elisha uh, as his successor. But you know, we can spiritualize all that but you know what I think God was doing here? He was giving Elijah a friend. On a very basic level, he was giving Elijah a friend. And I, I'm not sure he ever got that message. Because I don't think he treated Elisha as a friend. But God was giving him a friend. We all need a friend. But anyway, I'm finished. But I want to challenge you tonight about your circumstances. Are your circumstances creating a vacuum of the voice of God in your life? Are there physical, emotional, mental, spiritual warfare circumstances? Has it brought you to a place that is deserted, arid and dry? Are you depressed tonight? Are you even despairing of life? That could be a word of knowledge here for someone who actually is suicidal and is contemplating taking your own life as a believer. Don't fall into the trap of deadly comparison, but allow the Lord to touch you this evening. And give you rest. Take some rest. Take some time out. Look at what you're eating. Not just physically. But look at what you're eating with your eyes. Taking in in your appetite. What you're listening to. Get some exercise. Walk with God. Literally go out and take a walk. And a talk with the Lord. Receive supernatural ministry. Welcome the angels of God to come and minister to you. And then you may be ready to hear what God is asking you, the questions he's asking you, and the answers he's giving to you through his still, small voice. Wang Min Dao was a Christian who for over 20 years was imprisoned because he was a leader of the underground church in China. And there was a gentleman who interviewed him about his faith and how he survived in prison and he was asking about his spiritual life because this man was on fire for God in spite of what he had suffered. And Wang Mindao said to the journalist after the question, how have you remained so spiritually on fire all these years? And he said to the journalist, your problem is you are too busy. He said to him, you need to get a cell. And he went on to say that this, you need to simplify your life to know God. Let's pray. Now just allow us through the word of God already allow in these moments of quietness the Holy Spirit to minister to you. And you know, there's no shame here. 
This is the greatest prophet. And yet that's where he found himself. And sometimes we, we have this false concept of, I'm, I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't feel like this. I shouldn't think these thoughts. But look, the greatest of prophets in the Old Testament, this is how he suffered. And yet the wonderful good news of the gospel is that the least in the kingdom of Jesus is greater than Elijah and John the Baptist because of the promises that we have. And there's a promise of healing. There's a promise of release. There's a promise of wholeness. There's a promise of freedom. There's a promise that Jesus can take you by the hand tonight. He can be your wonderful counselor. He is your he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, your healer. He is the great physician. He is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, think, or imagine tonight for you. But listen, there's a process. And you know, we charismatics or Pentecostals or whatever you want to call yourself, we get a little bit deluded about the immediacy of God's works. There is such a thing as a miracle. Hallelujah. There is. But there's also such a thing as a harvest, which is a process. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn. That there is the law of harvest, of sowing and reaping. And if you have been sowing bad habits in your life, guess what? It's going to take a wee bit of time to sow good habits in your life. And it might be tonight that just like a huge ocean liner, the... The rudder shifts miraculously by the power of God and your mind and your spirit get the word of God tonight. But just as the pilot turns the rudder, it takes a while for that big vessel to turn around. It might take a while for your body to come round to what God is doing and saying in your life. You understand? And healing for most people is a process. Or for many. Let's say healing for many is a process. One of the key processes is renewing of the mind. And maybe you need to renew your mind tonight according to what Elijah learned. Maybe you need to repent of thinking that you're Superman or Superwoman. Maybe you need to repent of Messiah complex where you're trying to be Jesus to everybody. And I know Jesus is in you, but there's only one Messiah. There's only one Jesus. And we can lapse so easily into the flesh. So easily operating out of formula, experience, know-how, how it happened before. We, we're good with the lingo, aren't we? But the question is, are you hearing freshly from God? Can you hear from God? Some of you need to book some time out in your diary. That's what you need to do, to seek God. To go on a walk with God. To have a meal with the Lord. To get your head cleared. A bit of fresh air. It's a good place up here in the North Coast. Walk and talk with him in the cool of the day. Go walk tonight. That's what Adam and Eve did in the evening. Go walk with the Lord. Say, Lord, how did I get here? And how do I get out? Show me the way. And I believe he'll speak to you. Through his still small voice. Let's just be silent for a moment. Because the Lord may well even speak to you now. In the voice of a gentle whisper. But you know what some believe? That this was just silence. That God didn't actually say anything. But the silence spoke volumes. 
to Elijah. Let's be silent for a moment or two before we hand back. Father, sometimes we need you in the rushing wind. We need you in the earthquake. We need you in the fire. But there's times when our senses are overloaded. And it's not the spectacular we need. But it's the silent, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And we pray now, Lord Jesus, in your name, as you promised to send the Holy Spirit, that you would speak through your Spirit to us tonight. Words of calm. That those in the gathering tonight will hear you say, do not let your heart be troubled. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid those who are in a posture to receive tonight receive the peace that is pouring out from heaven but those of you who are not able to receive and it's okay it's okay but those of you who aren't able to receive, would you be willing to reach out your hand, either literally or metaphorically to the Lord, reach out your hand and say, Lord, take my hand on a journey of rehabilitation so that I can hear your voice again. Restore my soul, gentle shepherd, by the still waters and the green pastures. With your goodness and your mercy. to you and then I'm finished it's a well known one it's an old one listen carefully to it and you may hear the voice of God through it dear Lord and Father of mankind forgive our foolish ways 
reclothe us in our rightful mind. In purer lives thy service find, in deeper reverence praise. In simple trust like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea the gracious calling of the Lord, let us like them without a word rise up and follow thee. Now listen to these words. O Sabbath rest by Galilee. O calm of hills above. Where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. With that deep hush subduing all our words and works that drown. The tender whisper of thy call as noiseless let thy blessing fall as fell thy manna down. Please, grasp this. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Breathe through the heats of our desire thy coolness and thy balm. Let sense be dumb. Let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind and fire, O still, small voice of calm. O still, small voice of calm.